my topic today is pursuing the joy-filled life. And I'm deliberately, deliberately focusing on the, on the goal, the direction of travel, but we know in the journey of life and the journey of faith, we are walking in repentance. The moment we put our eyes upon Jesus and look at what he looks at and celebrate what he values and what he celebrates, in doing that, we are automatically turning our back on that old stuff, that stuff that we want to leave behind. Let's read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Pursuing the joy-filled life, do you know that you are drawn to the most dominant vision that you have in your mind, in your heart? The most dominant vision is what you desire, what you focus on, ideally. Uh, and some people have a dominant vision which is based on fear and based on apprehension and, and lack of trust in God. But when our faith is in Christ, our dominant vision is Him and what He can provide and the direction of travel that leads to him, and in so leading to him, leads, leads away from the things that were part of your past, the negative aspects of those things. As the song goes, sung by a missionary who lost everything, in the southern Himalayas, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. And in many ways, this is exactly why the writer to the book of Hebrews, the writer of the book of Hebrews, uh, deals with this. He's encouraging them. He says, there's so many witnesses in Hebrews chapter 11. Look at all of those people who, who endured hardship, persecution, and none of them actually received what was promised because what was promised to them is what is promised to us and they can't receive it without us and we both will receive it, the joy of the Lord in all its fullness at the return of Jesus Christ. So he's saying, I want you to make sure that you put your eyes on the right thing. Fix your gaze upon Jesus and that will keep you motivated for the long journey. Already now, the COVID-19 restrictions 
are been going for a good six months in, in, in our neck of the woods, and we're told we're going to have to persevere and hang in there. Well, we will hang in there because we're not looking for the end of this or the beginning of that. Our eyes are on Jesus, who is both the beginning and the end. Amen and amen. And so if you fix your eyes upon Jesus, that's what will keep you motivated to stay the course until you enter the joy of the Lord fully, which means you will be dealing with everything that holds you back, including, as the author says, every weight and sin which clings so closely. I want to begin by speaking a little bit about the forward pull of the Father. Uh, when we talk a bit about the flesh or the sinful stuff that's still within us, we'll be talking about the pull away from God, but, but let's focus on the pull of the Father which is ultimately irresistible and it is guaranteed by Jesus himself. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He who began a good work in you will bring it to conclusion, a glorious completion, when the joy of the Lord is fully manifested on that day. Can I have a strong amen right across this live stream? Amen and amen. So, yeah, he is the author, the founder, the perfecter, the finisher. And so this, this forward pull of the Father is, I would say, you know, kind of irresistible in the long term, in the long run. And, and even though at times you might today feel that you've had a particularly unsuccessful week. I'm not talking about relationships. I'm not talking about work or, or recreation. I'm talking about in your, in your experience with the Holy Spirit this week. I said, do you know what? I've blown it. I've blown it big time. No, big, big, big time. Is that the case? Well, hang in there because I've got a word for you. Or maybe you're here today feeling all right, you know, I've been struggling and I'm encouraging you today to keep on struggling and, and have a conscience about sin in your life, which will be the principal barrier, the major thing that will try to resist the pull of the Father on your life. We're in the middle of a call to action. Three weeks ago, we just completed 72 hours of prayer and fasting. And many of you were dipping in and out of the prayer room throughout that 72 hours as, and staying there for some prolonged periods of time. And you will testify to the effectiveness of the prayer which invaded the impossible, as uh, um, um, Jack Hayford used to call prayer, prayers invading the impossible. And we invaded the impossible. We took back what the enemy had stolen from us in a spiritual sense. And we made spiritual advancements, forcefully advancing in the things of the kingdom by prayer and by spiritual warfare. Now, after that time, you don't just leave it there and say, job done, I've been to the heavenlies. And I've talked to Jesus about this and I come back down to earth and I sit down and I rest. I don't do anything else because I've done it all when I have prayed. You know what? You can't do anything of much benefit until you have prayed. But when you have prayed, there's a whole lot more that you can do. And that's like rising up, taking possession. It's wonderful to see in this, this, this time when we have the technical stuff happening 
that uh, it seems that we're able to get so many more people on the screen giving testimonies and telling stories. And by the way, uh, tell us yours. Let us know what's been going on. And we've had week by week so many testimonies. And in early morning service, we had the testimony about Jacqueline who, who started a cell group during lockdown. Imagine that. And opportunities to testify in their Zoom room in the office. How do you, Jacqueline, face? What have you been doing to encourage yourself during lockdown? Well, actually, what I've been doing is going to my cell group meeting. And the whole of the church is there uh, set up to encourage and to help one another. Oh, that's very interesting. Tell us more. Well, yes, I'm giving you a, salsa, a free salsa lesson online. And, uh, and come and join us. And so now that's gone right around the company. And that's an opportunity for Jacqueline to share her faith. We are we, we mean business and the testimonies that are coming. People are rising up and, and speaking about Christ and we're tackling issues. We're dealing with relational issues. We are turning our hearts fresh to the Lord with the help of the Holy Spirit. And we are dealing with the obstacles that hold us back. Uh, I think you'll recognize that that's the kind of theme that I've had over the last three Sundays looking at what obstacles might be in your life to hold you back from moving forward and taking fresh territory from God, for God, from the devil. First time we talked about brokenness. Do you remember that? All these sermons are online, brokenness. And here I was focusing on the kind of brokenness that people want to hold on to. I'm so broken. How are you? I'm broken. You're broken. Yes, I'm broken. One year time. I'm broken. Two years. I'm broken. I'm professionally broken. I do it like this. Why do you wonder? Do people hold on to their brokenness when Jesus wants to heal you and make you whole? Why hold on to your brokenness? Often it's an excuse and sometimes it's an excuse that you don't do anything for God. Oh, oh no, no, I can't. I can't. I can't. I'm broken. Well, it's about time you got mended. Well, how do you do that? Give it to Jesus. Hello? Hello? Give it to Jesus. There is a right ministry to people who are broken, which brings them to a place of wholeness. We call it inner healing. That's why at the very beginning of our encounter meetings and our Living Free program to help and disciple new believers, we take people through a very compassionate, powerful experience of inner healing so that they can find their brokenness gradually being mended and healed so that they can be fruitful for God. That is the path of victory. That is the path of discipleship. And that's the path you are on if you're part of this church. Amen. And ultimate brokenness really is the best thing, not worldly brokenness, but godly brokenness in which you lay everything down before the Lord and say, I can't, but you can. I can't, but you can. And we depend on him. And then last week, we looked at rising above discouragement, rising above disappointment by focusing on the invisible realm, the realm of faith and saying, do you know what? It's not over till it's over. And, it, and actually, it's not over till Jesus returns. On um, Wednesday evening, as we were sharing some uh, passages to pray through. There was the tremendous experience of the Holy Spirit. Go and, and pick it up on KT Catch Up, uh, uh, KT TV Catch Up. We talked about the Shunammite woman who was given a son 
uh, because the prophet prophesied that she would bear a son. And the son, as a youngster, died. And the lady came to Elijah, Elisha and said, you know what's going on? But actually, she said a whole lot more. She was in bitterness of soul and spirit. Her life had fallen apart. The bottom of her world had dropped out. But she took that dead child, put it up in the prophet's chamber, the prophet's chamber, which she'd built especially for hospitality to visiting prophets, put her on the roof of her house. And she went in search of the prophet. And when she was asked, what's happened? What's going on? And she said, all is well. Was it well? No. Was the son sick? No, dead, worse than, than sick, dead. There was no hope, but she said, all is well. And we can see with the eyes of the spirit when everything else around looks like it's collapsed, Collapse, there's no way forward, there's no way out. We can rise with the higher vision of the Holy Spirit and say, it is well, all is well. Can you make that faith statement today? All is well. Once more, all is well. Rising above disappointment. Now today, I'm going to take this further and look at actually what probably is at the root of everything that stands between us and what God wants to do in our lives. And that is sin. Sin is the greatest obstacle, the greatest barrier to the will of God in your life. It's the greatest barrier between you and God if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And only Jesus has bridged that gap. He is the ultimate gap insurance. He bridged that gap. He, he overcame the obstacle. So now you and God can be reconciled because sin has been dealt with. Now we can talk about sin as Christians. The world doesn't like to use all kinds of other things, other words to describe this. We can talk about sin and that is a stumbling block itself to many people. I know people who you use the word sin, they, will, they can't tolerate the word because it implies that there is a God to whom you are accountable and, and the, the number one no-no of our generation, never, never, ever give up your independence your right to self-rule, never surrender that. You be the boss of your life, even if that takes you to a Christless eternity. Instead of bowing the knee to the Father, the loving Father who draws you into his presence and who will resolve every sin problem you have. And so one of the, one of the problems today is even talking about sin, which means offending a holy God. And we can talk about it because we know the solution. Jesus has dealt with it. And we can talk confidently about it because we know where the answer lies. Now, I've chosen to focus, I think it's a good choice, on pursuing the joy-filled life. So I don't particularly want to talk about sin. I want to talk about Jesus. But we must must talk about sin. You can't ignore it. Just as those vital witnesses of faith in Hebrews 11 
were great examples of people who persevered under pressure. So the writer of the Hebrews says in Hebrews 11, uh, Hebrews 12 verse 1, says, let us also, also what? Run the race with perseverance. But when he thinks about running the race, he realizes that this group of people right now are a little bit hindered from running the race because there's stuff in their lives. They are overloaded with weights and with sin stuff that's going on, which is pulling them away. The love of the Father is pulling them in one direction, but actually what is happening is they're, be, they're being pulled back. They're being held back uh, by some of the things that we've actually been, been talking about. And so he says, all right, now you're running a race, and this is a marathon, okay? It's a long one. You need endurance for it. And so he says, you, you're at the, just close to the finish line and you, uh, to the starting line and, and, and you're carrying something. You're carrying burdens. You're carrying weight. You're entangled around with so many things that you have no hope of running this race while you're so encumbered by the sin that clings so closely to you and the weight that is resting upon you. All that negative stuff. So he says, lay it aside. Strip it all away. Now, when he says lay aside the weight and the sin, which so easily uh, encompasses you and entangles you, he who had in mind the ancient games, ancient athletics. I mean, today, the people who run athletics in athletic races, they, they, they don't wear a suit and a tie. They don't, they don't carry a backpack. They don't carry their sandwiches with them. They don't have hobnail boots. They strip down to the bare minimum. And back in those days, most of the games, contestants and athletes, they competed totally naked. And so his idea is stripping back, letting go of everything that could in any way hinder you as you run this race. Now, that's not enough. It's not enough to say, well, I'm going to take this away from my life, take that away from my life. I think after, the while, after a while, the enemy of our souls likes it when we focus on our sin and sins. Why? Because if we focus on them, they become the dominant vision of our life. You are drawn to what is in front of your eyes. If you want to avoid something, look away. And if you want to embrace something, keep your eyes fixed. And so this is an amazing way of releasing yourself from bondage, from guilt, from self-doubt, from negativity, don't ignore the sin in your life. Sin has no place in any believer's life. Not one sin has any place. I write these things to you that you do not sin. But if anyone sins or does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Don't tolerate any sin. And have a conscience about it, saying, God, I want you to lead me further and further away from sin and closer and closer to Jesus Christ. So as you focus your eyes on Christ and, and, and you see his beauty, his glory, this is the pull of the Father. It's wonderful. The pull of the Father is glorious. Amen and amen. The pull of the Father is what motivated Jesus. He says, it says, who for the joy 
that was set before him. He was pursuing joy. Do you know what? This is such a reversal of human standards, especially of our generation. If you want to be miserable, try to be holy. If you want to be miserable, believe the Bible. If you want to be miserable, deny the flesh. That's the thinking of this world. If you want to be happy, do your own thing. Do what feels good. Do what you want to do. After all, you have a right to do it. And if it feels good, it is right. Just try not to hurt too many people on the way. Self-indulgence. We call it expressive individualism in our generation, and our society. I'm an individual. I have a right to choose to do whatever I want to do. Nobody can tell me what to do. Not you, not the church, not Mr. Boris Johnson, nor Mr. God Almighty. No way. I'm talking about Heavenly Father, not Boris Johnson, by the way, and you may use that. So nobody can tell me what to do. I have the right to freely express myself as I want. And if that contradicts some of your desires and things, we maybe we'll try and work it out. But actually, at the end of the day, I am my own boss. But God says, no, 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 no. The joy-filled life is the life that takes sin out of it. Life without uh, uh, a life within, in the cross where, where your sin life is crucified, where you say no to the things that otherwise you would have delighted in. And you will say no even to the pleasures of sin that you enjoy now for the sake of the righteousness and glory which is to come. No, 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 no. The joy-filled life is the life in which you have been set free from sin and walking in loving obedience to the heavenly Father who draws you closer and closer into his joy who for the joy set before him. What joy was that? There's a little quoted verse, not often quoted, tucked away somewhere in the last chapters of John's gospel in which Jesus entering from the upper, from the room where he, where he was leaving the room where they were having their um, Passover meal. And he says, come on now, we go. I, I, follow me, come with me because... I'm going to show the world how much I love the Father. The cross was not just the expression of the love of God in sending his Son. The love of God for the world. The cross was not just an expression of the love of Jesus Christ for his church and for us as individuals. The cross is the clearest expression of the love of Jesus Christ to his heavenly Father, totally motivated by the love of the Father. And the love of the Father was drawing him, motivating him. And that's not just Jesus' desire himself to love God, the Father. It was mutual. Now, in our case, we love him because he first loved us. The Father and the Son were in an eternal love relationship even before the creation of the world. It was mutual, reciprocal. Father, Son, and the Spirit of love, the Holy Spirit, from all eternity. For God is love. Now, for us, estranged by our sin, separated 
hostile because of our sinful nature and sinful inclinations. Yet God, in his love, broke that barrier down. And now we love him because he first loved us. Actually, in the original, that personal pronoun isn't there. We love him. We love, full stop, because he first loved us. He's taught us what love is. And this is the draw of the Father, and that's the most attractive thing. So holiness is spiritual. It's to do with sin. It's practical. It's to do with obedience. But above all things, it's relational. It's to do with the Father's love. So we live a life in, in, within the pull of the Father. We feel that pulling forward. I want you to feel it today. We live in a forward-looking, future-orientated, father-facing, cross-forged, blood-bought relationship of obedience to God. But we are being pulled back at the same time by the flesh. Those sinful desires that lead us to thoughts and actions. And we need to know that God has come to deal with all of this. What is salvation? Have you thought about that? What is salvation? God has come to give us a happier life. God has come to make us feel good. God has come to give us the things that we want. Have all of our prayers answered? Is that salvation? Or is salvation nearly 100% to do with deliverance from Sin. Of course, it's deliverance from sin that we might be dedicated to the purpose of the Father. But that 100% deliverance is part of the whole thing of salvation. You'll never understand salvation. And you know what it meant when it was said, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The penalty of sin. I'm going to give you three Ps. This is a good old Bible teacher's little, uh, you know, breakdown here. You've probably heard it before, but it's, it's worth repeating because it's a summary. Jesus came to set us free from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin. The penalty of sin is the judgment that should have fallen upon us, came upon Christ. So now he carried our sins on the cross and there is no condemnation. The penalty of sin has been removed. Now the power of sin, what that is, is that before we came to Christ, we could not not sin. We couldn't give it up. We were totally dominated by it. Sin had dominion over us, but it comes to give us freedom from its power. And now we are set free from the power of sin and we walk in that freedom every day of our lives along this path or actually to use Hebrews 12, we run the race with perseverance, leaving all that stuff behind. What are you going to leave behind today? Isn't that exciting? To make your running this week easier. Think about it. Holy Spirit may show you right here and now. So that's freedom from the power of sin which is what the Bible calls sanctification. And then ultimately, we're going to be set free from the very presence of sin, where there will be no (laughs) 
sin will have been so dealt with that its very existence in us and about us will be totally abolished. There will be no sin in heaven and in the future life where righteousness is at home. And so we know that even Jesus struggled against sin. Hebrews 12, 3 and 4. That's why he's such an example and an inspiration. That's why you need to keep your eyes on him because he's been there. And the author says, listen, verse 3, consider him who endured, very strong word. He's a good preacher. He's a good Bible teacher, this guy, who is, who is doing it because, or woman, we don't know, it was Andrew, it was whoever, anyway, all right, the person writing this, okay, has really, really strong gift here saying uh, of encouragement. I want you to know it's about endurance. You've come so far. You've done so well. You've overcome so much. Don't stop now. Take another step. Have courage. Endure. Keep your eyes on Jesus and remember him. He endured from sinners such hostility against himself. He endured from sinners. Jesus had no sin, but he knew what it was to struggle against sin because it was coming at him from outside every single day of his life. And finally, it's what crucified him. Now, we also struggle with external stuff, don't we? We struggle with those attacks that come. We struggle with those accusations. We struggle with the external temptations and all that is going on from outside. We struggle against the hostility of our current generation, which is and describes itself as post-Christian, a post-Christian generation, and it defines itself as post-Christian in the light of its total rejection of Christian truth want some of the cream, or want some of the fruit, but they don't want anything to do with a holy God and with a blood-stained cross that reconciles us in the name of Jesus and Jesus only. All of that, friends, is 100% against the spirit of the age. What do we do? Do we cave in and say, oh dear, I suppose I better not be a Christian anymore. Or maybe I just keep a quiet about it. Uh, that's what I will do. No, we rise up and say, we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is still the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And we want to live it. That's what we're talking about today. We want to live it more than ever before. Because if we're set free from some of the things that have held us back, we can run this race much faster, much more effectively, and be more fruitful Jesus Christ. Give him a praise in this house. Hallelujah. So Jesus struggled. Let's go on. Uh, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So he says, you know, it could get worse, but don't give up. So I'm saying to you today, as I, I, I'm just doing one circle of the runway before I land this plane, all right? So be ready for that. You can fasten your seatbelts now if you want to prepare for landing. Have a conscience about sin in your life. I don't say have a guilty conscience. No, we've been cleansed from that. But have a conscience. Don't just dismiss it. When the Holy Spirit speaks to you, it might be about something small. Oh, 
that conversation yesterday, you exaggerated. You didn't say the whole story. That, you know that, that, that thing you're doing constantly? You're criticizing? Stop, stop criticizing. That's the Holy Spirit speaking, right? Holy Spirit speaking. And you say, yes, Lord. Have a conscience about it. And don't forget the Holy Spirit's your enabler and helper. Romans 8, 13, it says, it's by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body. Romans 8, 13. Galatians 5, 16. Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And this expulsive power of a new affection that's inspired by the love of the Father, that will drive out all the stuff. You easily lay it on one side. Let it go because you got something better. That phrase, the expulsive power of a new affection, belonged to a Scottish preacher, Puritan preacher of hundreds of years ago, Thomas Chalmers. And he spoke about how, you know, you, you can't extinguish old desires. But what you can do is expel them by new desires. New desires. And this is the love of the Father. New affection. Love of the Father versus love of the world. Do not love the world or things of the world. No, no, no. Respond to the Father's love. And you will, like Jesus, be able to say, for the joy set before me, I will endure what needs to be endured. I'll lay aside what's good for me to be to lay aside. I will resist those fleshly desires which, which war against my soul. Think about that. It's a whole sermon there. My soul is being torn apart as I give expression to any of those desires. It's so damaging to you, so damaging to your personality, so damaging to your self-identity, so damaging to your spiritual life. Thank God that there is a cure. Amen, amen. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not the part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Wow, I tell you, we got some mighty powerful teaching here. As a hymn that I was quoting, mighty powerful teaching in some of those lead worshipers and people who suffered and praised God in it all and kept their eyes on the cross. And when they were entangled by something, they went to their brothers and said, help me. If you see someone overtaken in a sin, don't judge them, don't criticize them. Help them because today you're helping them. Tomorrow they may need to help you. Amen. And so we, we say, God, what do we do? How do we do this? We say this, look at this, look at this. Psalm 139, now here we are. We're coming in the final approach. Here we go. Psalm 139, 23 to 24. Are you ready? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked, sinful, grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Or the other translation would go to the ancient paths. I like that. The old paths. 
the established paths of the righteousness of God, which our society poo-poos and says, no, we want to be progressive. We want to ditch all those standards and ditch the very categories of right and wrong. And we say, no, we're going back to the revelation of the Father. Search me, Lord. Put your finger on things. He can do it gently. He can do it quite forcefully. And, and see if there's any way in me. And then, and then when you recognize this, what's the next thing? Oh, I'm undone. Whoa, it's me. I'm undone. No, lead me in the way everlasting. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his own sake. That's why I can say, yea, though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You see, I went into the old King James there. <laughs> that. So much hope, so much encouragement. So to fight sin, you turn your back on it. To run the race, you lay it aside. And you keep your eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus, not just simply as a spiritual discipline, but a reality in which we appreciate through the revelation of the Holy Spirit that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And ultimately, that joy is our final reward as we are set free from sin in the kingdom of God forever and ever. And looking back, we can say, Lord, thank you, because I have all this fruit that I can bring to you and honor you as my Lord and my Savior. Amen and amen.